The IPS Academy provides online courses from some of the best instructors out there on mental health, personal development, lifestyle, nutrition, relationships, mindfulness, improving your life quality, etc. Each course we offer has been made in collaboration with an instructor who has also been a guest here on the Inner Picture Stories podcast. Have a look to see if there's a course to your liking, read the full course descriptions and check out the thousands of positive reviews from students who have taken the course by going to innerpicturestories.com academy. With that, let's dig into the interview. Welcome to the Inner Picture Stories podcast. My name is Jelis Vaas, your host and the founder of Inner Picture Stories, the educational platform on life. I hereby invite you to come on a journey with me. In each episode, we will dive into the life of an inspiring person seeking lessons of wisdom about life and the world we live in. Answers that you can take away and use in your own life. It's true that no one ever said life would be easy, but it's also true that no one ever said you had to do it alone. So get ready and let the journey begin. People are shocked when I say this. I'm grateful for everything I've gone through because it's made me the woman that I am today. It took me a long time to say that, but now everything that I've gone through is helping me live in purpose to help other survivors come to the other side. This is episode 025 with Rina Romano. A warm welcome everyone to a new episode here on the IPS podcast. It is always a pleasure to welcome those of you who are tuning in to each episode. However, I must say I'm especially grateful when people tune into the episodes like this one, where we cover some of the heavier topics that are not always easy to talk about. And yet, these are the topics that are exactly what we should talk about, because they are of great importance despite the fact that they are difficult or uncomfortable to discuss. Like indeed sexual abuse. Now, I can assure you, however, that while this topic often makes people uncomfortable whenever it is brought up, the interview itself, as you will soon hear for yourself, is anything but uncomfortable. What you will be listening to are the words of someone who has found healing and purpose from out of this traumatic experience. As Rina Romano, our guest for this interview, would rather put it, You will hear the words of someone who, instead of becoming merely a survivor, became a survivor. Today, Rina Romano is a keynote speaker, mindset coach, and an advocate of the fight against child sexual abuse and sexual assault, who has appeared numerous times in the media to give voice to these topics. She has been a featured guest on the Oprah Winfrey show, various other shows such as Daytime, 10 News, ABC Action News and many more. And in 2017, she delivered an incredible TEDx talk titled Healing from Sexual Abuse Can Start With One Word, which I highly recommend everyone to check out. Now, I will let Rina tell you in her own words about the sexual abuses she went through, as I feel it's more hers to share than mine. What I do want to say is that she came from a very dark place, being sexually abused for more than 20 years. But because of this, she is able to share words with impact, provide some truly helpful pieces of advice and a much more profound understanding of the topic for anyone tuning in here who would like to understand this topic better or make a step towards healing from such a traumatic experience. If you want to learn more about child sexual abuse, I also encourage you to check out the show notes located in the description of this episode. This is where you can find the links to the TEDx talk of Rina, the book she has written, His Puppet No More, all the mentioned resources in the interview, and as well additional helpful information about this topic. Having said all that, I hope you will enjoy this episode and thank you again for being here. And Rina, if you're listening to this, thank you once again for doing this interview and for being the incredible person you are. With that, please enjoy this interview with Sir Driver of Child Sexual Abuse, Rina Romano. 
Rina, a uh, warm welcome here to the IPS podcast. It's such an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Yelis. Thank you so much for having me on. I was very honored that you asked. Yeah. The, the topic I want to talk with you about, child sexual abuse, it is a, a heavy topic. However, even though this is a heavy topic, you are such an incredible example, Rina, of someone who has turned her life completely around from being in a very, very dark place to living today a life of self-empowerment and positivity. You are a beautiful example to show that you can break free out of this prison that traumatic experiences as sexual abuse can imprison someone in. And so I'm, and I hope this does not sound weird, but I'm very excited to talk to you about this topic today. Great. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you about it because um, I want to show the positive side of life after trauma. That's my mission. So thank you. Before I will ask you a bit more about your personal experience and your story, Rina, I would like to start this interview with the following question. When I was doing research about child sexual abuse for this interview, I came across so many uncomfortable truths that I feel a lot of people might not know. As for example, that 93% of children who are sexually abused know their abuser, which is oftentimes a family member or a close friend. Now, that is such an uncomfortable truth that I feel a lot of people might not know. What are some other uncomfortable truths, Rina, about child sexual abuse from your personal experience or from the stories you've heard of other survivors that you feel a lot of listeners might not know, yet that should be more known? Yes. Um, well, when I was doing my TEDx talk, I did a lot of research. I didn't as much, did not do as much research globally on it, but I did do research for the United States where I live. And one thing that they say with the 93% we know are abusers. Another thing is that they're saying in the United States that only one out of three abuses are being reported. So if they say one in four girls and one in six boys, that number could be two. It could be more because it goes unreported. But I think now it, it's coming out of the closet, per se, a lot more. So more reports are coming to light. But that was something with me, Yellis, when I was a young girl. I thought, well, this is, you know, I'm the only one it's happening to. Mm. And now I know that's not true. Yeah, so a couple more um, uh, statistics that I found, uh, and these are st statistics from RAIN with a double N, which is an anti-sexual violence organization in America, um, is that the majority of sexual assaults also occur at or near the victim's home. And another one is that, uh, like you actually just said now, uh, is that about 90% of the time children do not report, uh, which likely is even higher. So that's very terrifying and very uncomfortable, actually, to know, but so important that we realize this. Yes, it's you know, it's it's very eye-opening, isn't it? And um, not only am I a survivor of, and I like to say Sir Thriver, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, we but will. <laughs> I am, yeah, I am a Sir Thriver of incest of almost two decades. And then as a young adult, when I left home and I had a job and I had my own apartment, uh, unfortunately, I was raped by a colleague hmm. from my work. He broke into my home in the middle of the night. And I couldn't report him to the police because, sadly, I had a friend who had been raped a couple of months prior to that. And she did go to the police and they blamed her. Well, what were you wearing? What were you doing? Hmm. Um, and it's victim blaming. So I thought, why even go to the police? They're just going to blame me. And I was in my home asleep, the, the one place where we should feel safe. Yeah. Also, as a serve thriver of incest, I was home and I should have been safe 
from the family member who was abusing me. And when my mother found out, she was devastated. But So sorry yeah. to drop in, but could you, because this was the next part that I was going to now. Um, I don't like, I want to first check in, but you were already starting. But how comfortable do you feel to talk about what has happened to you uh, here? Because I'm curious to ask you about your story uh, and the experiences you've had with sexual abuse. You're welcome to ask me anything. I will answer the best that I can, Yellis. I do not. Um, I do not offer graphic details. Sure. Because I don't know who's listening in your audience or mine, and people can be triggered. And I try to be as kind and gentle and empathetic, telling my story, um, because I don't want to trigger other survivors. So you're welcome to ask me anything, and I'll just say I'm not comfortable with that. But, hey, Yellis, you know, I was on the Oprah Winfrey show, so I can tell just about anything. <laughs> so would you be okay to share your story here? And like you said, you can you can give as many details as you want, of course. Sure. Um, I am a survivor of incest, and it started at the age of four by my an older brother, I didn't know what was happening at the time. I had no language for it. A, a child of four years old is not taught sex at that age. I had no language for it. I didn't know what was happening. And I thought my brother loved me. And now I know that's not the case. He just used and abused me. And I'm finding out he did that with other people. But it went on for years. He gave me drugs. Um as a young teenager, and he forced me into pornography. He tried to sell me to his friends. And what's really strange, Yellis, is that for many years, I didn't think that my other two brothers loved me because they never tried to have sex with me. <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah, and that's how damaging uh, sexual abuse is. It, it really... And there's a lot of brain trauma around it, especially starting at such a young age. So my brain is even I'm 64 today that we're doing this interview and I was four years old. So there was a lot of brain trauma that I've had to work on. You also said uh, that you were sexually abused by a colleague. How many years was that? Like how many years after your brother, like, or was that all together happening? Well, it, I was in my early 20s. And like I said, I was living uh, in, in a house, an apartment, and he broke into my home. And the next day I had to go to work because I had to pay my own bills. He raped me once and he had threatened to rape me during work times. A, a couple of months but prior to this happening. And, you know, I just kind of brushed it off. He, he was a married man. He had a wife and two children. And he broke into my home in the middle of the night and pinned me down and raped me. And the next day I had to go to work because I was living on my own. I had to pay my bills. And I could not tell my boss what another employee did to me because my boss was sexually harassing me. Wow. Yeah. And this was, I was maybe 24 and now I'm 64. So 40 years ago, mm. um, long, long time ago. And I've had a long time to heal. Thank goodness. And so that's my, my mission, but it was, um, it took a long time to heal, and I didn't get here overnight, but it is possible. We'll definitely get more uh, to that. So I know you've publicly talked about this often, but I have to say I I truly admire your courage, Rena, for sharing your story here, and I, I really, really appreciate it. Well, I thank you for that, Yellis, because I am... The more I share my story, I have to have to say, the more empowering I feel and the more healing it helps me. And it does help others know that they're not alone yeah. and and they can see the, the possibilities. Mm. So abusers are often 
very good at silencing their victims and making the outside world unaware of anything being amiss. It can be very difficult for parents or other adults to know if their child or a child in their surroundings might be dealing with sexual abuse. However, there are signs and it's about knowing them that can greatly help people in seeing that something might not be right. From out of your story, Rina, and from the other survivors of child sexual abuse you've worked with or interviewed on your podcast, could you point out some of those signs that a child might be dealing with sexual abuse? So what are some red flags listeners should be aware of? Well, if you see a child that is very outgoing and boisterous and loud and laughing and having fun and then then they become silent and and withdraw and is is not as active, there's something going on. And there's a young lady here in the United States, and I encourage you to reach out to her. Her name is Erin Marin, and she has started Erin's Law. Okay. And it's teaching children how to, what is safe touch and unsafe touch. Uh So I follow her and I support her. And um, yeah, I encourage you to get her on your show too. But children, nowadays we are talking about it more. And when it was happening to me, obviously I thought I was the only one that it was happening to. And there's so much shame put on us. We are groomed we are told it's our fault. We are told uh, they will hurt us. It will be we will be blamed for it. So there's a lot of grooming involved. So if you see a child that's maybe a sudden personality change, something's going on. But I, I really there's lots of books out of, out there. I co-contributed to a book called You Can Help. And it's how to talk to survivors and, and what you can do as a family or a friend. You can help, uh, you know, the author's name as well? Um, yeah, Rebecca Street. She is the author of the book, and she interviewed 19 other survivors, men and women. And I was able to share a little bit of my story in the book. Also, my book, His Puppet No More, I'm hearing from survivors and family and friends that The way I shared my story in the book, it's helping others understand uh, the actions or the survivors when they act out and that, you know, they might be doing self-harm or their addictions or promiscuous or whatever it is. So they get a good idea of what this child abuse can do to a child's psyche. So those two books uh, that you just mentioned, yours as well there, uh, they will be both uh, found in the show notes for everyone listening. So I would say that most listeners who do not have any personal experience with sexual abuse can easily imagine that this is a very traumatic experience. However, the kind of emotional damage and how long it can torment a person is only something one can truly know if it has happened to you. So to deepen the understanding of listeners here who want to understand sexual abuse better, what was the emotional damage that being sexually abused caused you for years into adulthood? Well, one thing I know for sure is uh, my self-esteem, my self-worth was at a bottom. There was none. My confidence, I thought it was my fault. I thought I was evil. I thought I was bad. I thought I was the bad person. Um, I also felt very, very damaged that no one would love me because I wasn't good enough. I was damaged goods. And that's so not the case. You know, I when I told my husband, I think it made him love me more to see how I was able to survive through it. And, you know, people say, get over it. Well, we don't get over it, but we will work through it and we will rise above it. But it it can cause a lot of damage. um, Child sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape can cause a person to die by suicide. It it causes addictions. It causes low self-esteem. I remember 
a job I had as a salesperson, my supervisor wanted to promote me to sales manager because he saw the potential in me. But deep down inside, I couldn't let him know that I didn't feel good enough to accept the promotion. Hmm. Yeah, that people saw in me, but I didn't feel it. And I, I didn't experience it. I'm not sure if the following question might trigger something else, but was there anything that you never imagined being sexually abused would also inflict on you? Hmm. Can you repeat that again? I'm not sure. Sure, and I could also frame um, the question a bit different. So what is something you think a lot of people might not immediately realize sexual abuse can also inflict onto a person? Well, self self-abuse. Um, if you see people, um, drinking too much or the way they treat themselves, they're disrespectful to themselves, that sexual abuse can cause a lot of different things. And you know, like I said, I felt like I was damaged goods and people would look at me, they would see the potential in me, but I couldn't, I didn't. And it wasn't until I, I got help. So there's a lot of self-harm because after the abuse, we feel like we deserve it. We, and we continued for, for women. I know me, I continued to date men that were, were abusive because mm-hmm. I didn't feel good enough to date men who treated me with respect. <laughs> right. Yeah, that must be such a confusing thing too, right? Very, very. Yeah, and and my family had no idea what this family member was doing to me at the time. Obviously, if my mother did, she would have stopped it. But they couldn't understand why I was doing all these things to myself. And, you know, Oprah Winfrey did an interview with 60 Minutes about a year or so ago. And they're turning the table now. Instead of asking people when they see them act out or, or drink or whatever, instead of asking them what's wrong with you, they're starting to ask, what happened to you? Ooh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, very good. Because it's not what's wrong with you. What happened to you to make you want to harm yourself? Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like I said, we're we're on the cusp of, eliminating this so from out of your TEDx talk I received that you saw asking for help as a weakness and this is something very common that many people who go through something traumatic as sexual abuse often feel even though that telling someone you trust what you went through is one of the most important things one can do as it is often a major step in the process to healing so when did you decide to take control of your own life and give voice to what happened to you? And as well, how did you break this barrier to ask for help and not see it as something weak? Right. Well, to give some clarity to why I felt that asking for help is a weakness, my mother and father, you know, went through, they grew up during World War II. And you buck up, you, you have a stiff upper lip. And you don't ask for help. You you pull up your own bootstrings and you do your own thing and you and you make your own way in this world and you don't ask for help. So that's where that came from. And as time went along, my mother saw that um, asking for help is not a weakness. But the the thing that saved my life was watching Oprah Winfrey. And watching her show, and when she admitted that she was a survivor of incest and sexual abuse, and I thought, my goodness, look how she's been successful after everything she's been through. So it made me realize that what I was doing to myself, drinking too much, sleeping around, doing all the things I was doing, maybe I do need to get help and talk about this. And... um. I, I became, I had thoughts of suicide one night and I drank myself into a stupor and, and 
I thought about killing myself that night. And I woke up the next morning and I'm like, I don't want to die. But I just don't know how to live with this pain. So I called a crisis center. I called the number and I asked for help. Because watching Oprah Winfrey, she's my hero, my mentor. Yeah, she definitely sounds like that. She saved my life. Yeah. (laughs) Her show saved my life because... She made me realize it's okay to talk about what happened to us. And I was so fortunate to tell her in person that she saved my life. Well, that must be such an incredible moment to sit in front of your hero. How was that? How was that moment for you? It was the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, here's Oprah Winfrey, bigger than life. I I saw this woman on TV for years, and now I'm sitting next to her, and you'll see a picture of it in my TEDx talk. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I told her, I said, you and your show saved my life. But a friend of mine saw me on the show and said, you're still angry about what happened to you. And they were right because I haven't had not completely healed what they broke. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, I want to get to that in a in a second. So, what would you say to anyone listening first uh, who also thinks that asking for help is a weakness? I would say it's the most courageous thing that you could do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I called for help, the man on the phone said, I'm so proud of you, Rena. He made me feel proud that I I was strong enough to ask for help. He helped me reframe my beliefs around asking for help. And we all have asked for help in some way or another. And it's not a weakness. We are social beings. We are here to help each other. We are here to to heal each other, um, embrace each other, love each other. So to ask for help is a sign of love to yourself. And the and if you if you think about it, when you've asked somebody, it could be something simple at work. Hey, I could really use your help. It makes that other person feel good that they can help you. And we are all here to help each other. And I may not be able to help you, Yellis, in some way, as you might be helping me or someone else. But some way along the road, you know, you'll, you'll, we all pay it forward. So that man on the phone, when I called, when I was suicidal, I, I called whispering, I was sexually abused and I haven't told anyone. And he told me how proud he was of me. It was just, it was a life changing moment. To finally have someone tell you that, that they're proud of you of telling something, a deep secret. That is. Yeah. That, that I'm not a coward for asking for help, that I'm not weak, that I'm courageous. I'm stronger than I believed. And so that was a very life-changing moment for me. Well, that's such a powerful thing for that person to say to someone who is doing that because there's so much fear behind it probably. And, you know, so, all right, good on him. Good on him. <laughs> yes, absolutely good on him. And we're we're finding that now more too. So I, I encourage people to watch my TEDx talk. They, yeah. They'll know what to say and what not to say. <laughs> so yeah, definitely your TEDx talk will be linked up in the show notes for everyone. So one of the worst things that I can imagine that could happen is if you open up to someone and they either do not believe you or, or not take you serious or undermine what has happened to you. If something like that happens, it can, it can literally shut someone down from ever telling anyone about this again. How can we the people here listening who want to be there for someone who is going through this, how can we make telling safe? And it was a good example already of the man at the suicide line, but is there anything else that you would add to this? What are some do's and do nots when it comes to being there for someone who is currently is or who has experienced sexual abuse? One thing, if if a friend or a loved one opens up, if they have the courage to reach out to you and say, 
I was sexually abused as a child. I was raped. Many of us, many of us don't know what to say. I mean, it's such a shock because it, it could be coming from a loved one. It could, it could be your wife or husband or child telling you this. And the best thing that you can do is to let them talk, to listen without interruption or judgment and let them talk. And many of us are not equipped to be their therapist. And I think the one thing that they could do is say, you know, I am so proud of you for sharing. I am so proud of your courage. I can't imagine what you've gone through. I don't know how to help you here other than love you and ask permission if you can hug them. Because a lot of us that were raped, we don't like to be touched. Mm. And I always ask people, may I hug you? Because I don't know if they're a survivor or not. And so ask that person, do you need a hug? Can I hug you? And another thing that they can do is say, you know, I don't know much about this subject, but I'd like to help you research resources. And you mentioned RAIN. I am on the RAIN Speaker Bureau for here in the United States. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I do legislation and I speak out at, at the state capitol. But so if you're not sure what to say, the best thing is not to say anything. Other than, you know, I'm really proud of your courage to even thank, thank you for trusting me to tell your story and don't try to fix it because you can't and you're, you're not, a, unless you're a therapist, a counselor, just offer it. The best thing you can do is listen. It's true. And it's such a good thing that you just said, because often we think that we, we should have the, the answers to help them, but it's often just saying like, yeah, I actually do don't know directly what to say, but I want to be here for you and I want to help you on this journey. That alone, exactly. just being there for that person and listening, like you said, is basically all at the moment that you, you can do and that is so helpful for that person. Well, and especially if it's a man, Yellis, because many women will tell their husband, their boyfriend, and men want to be our protectors and so they'll try yeah. to fix it. And try to, to give answers. and But really, they don't know what to say. Yeah. So you can't fix us. You're not the one that broke us. Huh. Are there some, some other clear do-nots that, that you would add to this? You know, just um, do not judge. Mm -hmm. And do not blame. because uh, And I know that people don't want to do that. Be careful with what you do say. I've had friends say, oh, why don't you just get over it? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah it, uh, tw 20 years, almost 20 years of being raped, you don't just get over it. I had a girlfriend who yelled at me, just get over it. And, and a month or two later, she found out her husband was having an affair and she was suicidal and she thought about, you know, killing herself. And I knew that telling her to just get over it was not what she needed to hear. And I share that in my TEDx talk. She needed someone to just listen. So I did. And I offered her resources where to get help to, to seek out either legal help or, you know, um, medical help. All right. So these are some, some very good pieces of advice uh, for everyone. This journey that you went on, Rina, the journey to healing, it is, like you said, it's a very bumpy one. Uh, it never goes as smoothly as we hope it would, especially not with uh, traumatic experiences like sexual abuse. They can create such deep and big wounds that it can almost seem impossible to ever heal from them. So I'm curious to ask you, what were some things that, when you look back now, that started to mend these wounds that being sexually abused caused you? And... I'm specifically curious to ask about something that might have seemed as a very small thing to do that eventually led to the biggest healing. 
Well, I guess the small thing, the big thing was to not live in denial of it because I always pushed it away. I shoved it under the rug. I pretended it didn't happen to me for so many years. Um, I shoved the pain of it away until I got help because I didn't want to deal with the pain. Some survivors... um, don't remember what happened to them. I They suppress the memories. I suppress the pain of what happened to me. I swallowed it. You know, I, I put it away in a dark, dark corner somewhere and just didn't want to deal with it. So when I finally asked for help, the hardest thing to do, and I tell many survivors, it's not easy, but you're going to have to deal with the struggle. And it, it's healing like you said it's a it's a bumpy road it's it's like going up and down a mountain up and down a mountain up and down a mountain the, the emotions are just horrific because we suppress the pain for so many years but it's so worth it it is so worth it on the other on the other end you know that old saying there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's true what were some of the things then maybe that that help you to uh, not suppress things anymore and let those things come out? Well, I, when I asked for help, I was given some phone numbers to join a couple of different groups. And I found one group. There were six other women in the group with two therapists. And it was talk therapy. There's all kinds of different therapies now. But I was in that group for two years, and, and it was a safe place to go talk about what happened and how it made me feel and how it damaged me. And, and watching Oprah, watching uh, now we have YouTube, thank goodness. There are all so many, you know, healing tools that we can use. I've used hypnosis. I've used tapping, meditation, writing. There, uh, writing my memoir, His Puppet No More, was the most therapeutic thing that I could do. I never kept a journal, Yellis, never, because if I wrote what was happening to me, it would make it true. If I wrote anything down, I didn't want to leave a paper trail because I wasn't ready to share my story. And a lot of people do write in journals. But I, the moment I started writing my book, I just, all these emotions just came out. And so writing, whether you publish your book or not, is the most therapeutic thing that you can do. It was, it was phenomenal. I can imagine. I mean, it's, it's often something said, right? Like to, to put your, your thoughts down onto paper. So you, they, they have a place. Uh, It's a very helpful thing for a lot of people. So I can very much imagine that writing that book uh, was a very healing uh, healing step in the process. W- was there actually anything you wished you did sooner? You know what? I, I, I'm going to say no. Because the reason why, Yellis, is because I don't want to live with any regrets. Mm-hmm. And I am living on purpose right now. And everything I've gone through... I went through it at the time I was supposed to go through it. I healed when I was supposed to heal. Um, Everything that I'm doing now, I'm 64 years old and I've got 20, 30 years left to go. (laughs) I've got got a lot of work and fun to have, you know. Um, So, no, I wish I hadn't done anything differently because if I say that, if I say that I do, then um, that's having regrets. And I don't want to live with any regrets. I'm very, people are shocked when I say this. I'm grateful for everything I've gone through because it's made me the woman that I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took me a long time to say that. <laughs> but but now everything that I've gone through is helping me live in purpose to help other survivors come to the other side because there's so much 
there's so much endless possibilities of of a beautiful life after trauma. What a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, another question that I'm that I'm actually very curious about is I'm specula uh, speculating right now, but I could imagine that the gender that abused you, which in this case are men, also scattered your trust towards that gender. Did you struggle with trusting men? And if you did, how did you rebuild that trust again? And how can we, whichever gender that person is abused by, help in rebuilding that trust? Oh my goodness, yes. I had severe trust issues with men, especially because it was a man who abused me for many, many years. And then a, a young man who um, raped me, a colleague. So, and one thing that I did is I withdrew from girlfriends too, because I didn't know who to trust. And you don't talk about those things back then. Now we're talking about it over coffee almost. Um, so it took many years to trust men. And now what I have to say is I am learning to trust my intuition more because I'm, I meet people that I know, okay, I, I can't trust you. There's just something a little off about you. So the trust comes in first trusting yourself and trusting how you feel about something and, and trusting that it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. There's no right or wrong. Just, Allow yourself whatever you're feeling. I think once you start trusting yourself, loving yourself, uh, trusting your, your intuition, that you know, that gut feeling, that's when you can start trusting others. You, ha you have to trust yourself first. And when I met my husband, I didn't get married till I was 41. You know, some people get married in their 20s or 30s. I waited till 40. I'm glad I did. <laughs> no regrets there either. Um, but, you know, I knew I could trust him. I just knew that I could trust him. I trust his, I trust his, um, the way he treats me, that he doesn't lie, cheat on me. I just trusted that. He wasn't going to do to me what had been done to me in the past. And that's because I trusted myself first to to really get in tune with myself. Was there anything that he did that greatly also that helped in rebuilding trust? He was respectful. I, I, I don't, he, he treated me like a lady. He, he didn't lie or cheat. He would, we met at, at a function through, um, an association work and he lived in one part of the state and I lived on the other. I just trusted that he wasn't out, you know, messing around with other women. He wanted to be with me and I knew that that's what I wanted. And finally I attracted it and I allowed myself to have it. That's the big key here, because before that, I would only allow men who were abusing me in my life. And I know that. I, that's what I was attracting, because that's all I knew. Rena, we... Oh, you wanted to say something still? Or? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> But uh, actually, like listening to your body, you know, it has so deep wisdom that we so often not listen to. <laughs> uh, and I think what you just underscored there, like we should listen more to it, to that gut feeling. It doesn't lie uh, many times to us. So I think it's really helpful to listen more to it. Yes, definitely. It took me a long time to realize that too. And it, I fought, I fought my intuition for many, many years. And um, because I was so used to being abused that I would just let, allow the abuse to continue from other men And, but I knew deep down that's not what I wanted. And I had, like I said, I had to learn to trust myself and I had to learn to love myself. 
I had to learn to forgive myself. Because what I really did realize, Yellis, is that even though I've made some bad choices in my life, it doesn't make me a bad person. Mm, Love that. Yes, and that's what I want other survivors to know. We make bad choices only because that's what we're taught. We're just living out what we were taught, what we were groomed. And it's okay. You're learning your way. And whether you've been abused or not, we all, we're human beings. We make bad choices. That's okay. It's okay to be human. <laughs> Rena, uh, we have come to the last part here of this interview where I want to ask you a few questions about how survivors can start to feel proud of surviving what they went through. You do incredible work, Rena, around helping survivors become thrivers in their life and break free from being a victim to what has happened to them. I often heard you use the word Sir Triver on your podcast, your website, and the public speeches you did, and also here in this interview. Can you explain to us what the difference is between being just a survivor and being a Sir Triver? Well, Thank you for asking that. I'm so proud of that word, sir. S-U-R hyphen Thriver, capital (laughs) T-H-R-I-V-E-R. I had the word trademarked in the United States because I want to share that word with survivors. Mm. We hear the word survivor so many times and Thriver. I wanted to own that word for the Me Too, the the um, folks who have been abused as children, I wanted them to have their own word that they could use to take back their power. Now, here's one thing I want them to know. You don't have to tell the world that you're a survivor, sir, thriver of child sexual abuse or rape unless you want to. But you must get help. You must talk it out. You must get help for what happened to you. And I tell survivors, we did not commit the crime. We should stop doing the time. Because I was stuck in shame for so many years. And I'm going to be launching a campaign that's called the No More Shame Campaign. And I want to share that word, Sir Thriver, and that they take back their power. We can't change what happened to us, but we can change how it was controlling us. You know, Dr. Maya Angelou had a saying. She said, I can be changed by what happened to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. Yeah, I love that. Yes, it's powerful. So having that word... With, with the survivors I have on my podcast, the ones I've interviewed, they love that word, Sir Thriver, because it gives them power. It, it helps them take back their power. You know, I, I will never get justice in a court of law because my perpetrators are dead. The best justice that I can get is to be happy. I, I like to say happy is the best revenge. And... Living my life on purpose now is the best justice because I'm helping others see the endless positive possibilities of how they can live their life after trauma. It's, I love that survivor, sir, driver. It's, it's such an, a great word. And how, how did you, did you came up with it or how, how did that word came to be? Well, yeah, I came up with it because I, I'm like, Okay, yeah, I'm, I, I was a victim. Mm-hmm. I'm a now a survivor, and now I'm a thriver. But I, I'm a sur thriver because I've released the shame of their crime. And so I wanted that word to be associated with a survivor who has been able to release the shame And they celebrate their courage, strength, and tenacity to persevere above and beyond the crimes that were committed against them. So 
I want people to know that I am a survivor of incest and rape because that is my purpose. It may not be another survivor's purpose to share their story with the world. Like I said, we don't all have to, but I know that it is my purpose and I'm living in purpose now by doing what I'm doing. Because often, Yellis, I get many, many young men and women come up to me and say, how can you be so happy Hmm. after everything you've been through? Because they want that happiness too. So that's what I'm here to do is to share how they can be. It's amazing to see that Oprah Winfrey, you know, your hero sitting in front of her and now you are inspiring people to to help them to heal them as well with what they went through you know child sexual abuse or sexual abuse i'm so proud actually on on you for for all that you've done it's it's so great oh you're so sweet thank you yeah i i um i'm on i'm on purpose now and it feels good so rena i have i have two more questions uh, here left for you. Um, so I have one question about shame. When when people go through a traumatic experience as being sexually abused, feelings of shame are often attached to such an experience, a feeling that you yourself also struggled with. How over the years did you change those feelings of shame to feelings of pride and self-love? It took a lot of years, Yellis. I have to be honest, it didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of healing. I've, I've gone through a lot of things. You know, I went through counseling for two years and I thought, okay, I'm done with counseling. I was on a six month high after counseling. I'm like, okay, I beat this. I'm okay. I'm done. But as the years went on, I realized that counseling is beautiful. It's a wonderful thing to get therapy and, and get the help. But we must continue with the self education, the self-healing. So as I said earlier, I've done hypnosis, I've done tapping, I do writing therapy. Um, We must, and I still do all of this today. I still, every day I'm healing my heart, I'm healing my brain. And I want everyone to know, just never give up keep going. It, it healing, you know, I think the day I take my last breath on this earth is when I know I'm done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically you're saying like, there is no, a lot of times people are working towards a finish line, like in a month or something, but it's a continuous process. It's a continuous process. And I, you know, I look at your story, you're continuing to go and grow Mm -hmm. And you went on a quest. Am I right? I mean, yeah, it's true. Yeah, definitely. We, we are all on a quest. We don't know what the finish line is going to look like, but we have to have we have to have a goal. We have to have something to aspire to, to to be, to become. And and maybe it's just being the best person you can be the next day and the yeah. next day and the next day. So never quit learning or discovering because we keep going. I I think the day that we stop discovering, that we stop learning, that's when it's time to leave this earth. Mm, Wow. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) Then then our work is done. So I've got many years to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Rina, a a last question here for you, although I literally have a hundred more. As we learned in this interview, most people who are sexually abused know their perpetrator. With you, it was your brother and a colleague. Now, this must be such a difficult thing to know someone who you might also still see again in your life. This must be so confusing and distressing at the same time. How how did you ultimately make peace if you did with your brother and the colleague who sexually abused you? And how can others who have been sexually abused make peace with whoever did this to them as well? Well, I I want to change your language a bit. You don't make you don't have to make peace with that person. 
you can make peace with the event. Mm -hmm. You can make peace with what they did to you. You can make peace with, um, for, you know, like you said, you, you asked if I had done something sooner. No, I don't because I don't want to have regrets. And, but when I finally started sharing my story, other family members and friends were, well, why didn't you tell? Why didn't you stop it? Well, it's not the child or the person's responsibility to, to prevent this crime. What about the perpetrator? Why did they do it in the first place? Why didn't I stop it? Well, I finally did stop it. And I finally did tell. And I finally did get help. Um, I didn't see my brother for years. He passed away in January of 2009. Oh. And that October of 2009 was when I was on the Oprah Winfrey show uh-huh. and shared my story. Now, the young man who raped me, um, I only remember his first name. I, I could do a lot of research and find out his last name. I don't remember his name. But I know that the statue of limitations has run out. And here in Florida, I went to the state capitol to help change legislation so that there is no time limit. Because there's no time limit on the survivor. We live with this for the rest of our life. And so he passed away in 2009. I don't know where my rapist is, if he's still in my hometown I had to come to peace with what happened because the anger of it was not doing me any service. The anger of what they did to me. And somebody said to me once, Yellis, they said, you have every right to be angry about what happened to you, but it's not okay to stay stuck in the anger. You have work to do, you have lives to help, and you can't do that because no one wants to listen to someone spouting anger. Mm -hmm. And I know that the more I show kindness and love, you attract more flies with honey, as we say here. Rena, I have so much respect for you, for the courage you have in sharing your story to the world and for sharing it here on the IPS podcast. It is, it is because of people like you that other people can heal, learn and understand this topic better so we can all make this world a better and safer place. There is one final end question that I've left for you that I ask all my guests here on the show. But before I ask it, Rina, what is the best place for people to find and connect with you? And as well, is there any specific place you'd like to point listeners to? Yes, they can come to my website. I just launched a new website yesterday. It's oh, congrats. Rena. Yes, R-E-N-A, Rena Romano.com, R-E-N-A-R-O-M-A-N-O.com. And I encourage your listeners to go to YouTube or to my website, because I've placed the TEDx talk there. And you can type in Rena Romano TEDx on YouTube and it will pull up. But the um, title of the talk is called Healing from Sexual Abuse Can Start with One Word. And I don't tell you the word, you have to go listen to the talk. <laughs> and please leave a comment and share share the talk. So for everyone listening, that will be all linked up in the show notes. The final end question that I have for you, Rina, and you you can you can make it as long or as short as you want. From everything that you've seen, experienced, lived and learned in your life, what is the one thing you know to be true? The one thing to be true. <laughs> the one thing to be true is that there is always room in your heart for love and kindness and the one thing to be true is to let go of the anger because the more that we hang on to the anger of what happened to us we can't allow love or kindness in 
because the more we keep things inside of us, um, there's no room for anything else. So I think that's the one thing to, that I know to be true, to let some of that anger go, let go of the negativity, let go of the anger. That's allow yourself to be open to kindness and love. Beautiful. Rina, thank you so much for being here on the show. It's It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh my goodness, Yellis. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. I, I've had a great time sharing with your listeners. I hope they get some good information out of it. And I applaud you and everything that you're doing. So thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> thank you too. I'm 100% sure uh, listeners will get a lot out of this uh, interview. So yeah, thanks again. Great. Thank you. And there you go, everyone. That concludes this episode with Rina Romano. Thank you for listening to this episode about surviving child sexual abuse. I truly hope you gained a lot of insightful and helpful information from the interview. I honestly have to say I have a lot of respect for all of you, whoever you are, for listening to this episode all the way to the end. It is because of listeners like you who dare to open their hearts and minds to these kinds of topics that the stigma attached to abuse survivors can gradually be reduced. For the survivors out there, I hope this interview can be a stepping stone for you to become not only a survivor, but like Rena, slowly become a survivor. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, to find all the resources mentioned in the interview, additional information about child sexual abuse and ways to connect with Rena, be sure to check out the show notes located in the description of this episode or go to innerpicturestories.com slash podcast and simply search for Rina. With that, I hope I will be welcoming you again soon to another journey, another episode here on the IPS podcast. Until then, this is your host, Yelis Fass, signing off. Until next time, everyone. <laughs>